Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Kelly Reichardt, along with an essay on her latest, First Cow. Also, an interview with the directors of the fiery genre mashup Baccarat, Michael Kreski on The Perseverance of Cinema, Amy Taubin on Sundance Highlights, and Pietro Marcello on the inspiration behind his Martin Eden. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Rapold, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment. In a recent article in the New York Times, the critic Manola Dargas wrote about what we're missing right about now. There is nothing like watching a movie, leaving the world while being rooted in it alongside friends, family, and everyone else. It's a feeling that means so much to all of us, and on this podcast, we've been doing our best to stay virtually connected with each other and with movies. We've had the pleasure of welcoming Manola Dargas on the podcast in our festival editions, and in this extraordinary time, she joins us once again. For this episode, we talked about the impact of the cinema shutdowns, what's unique about the movies, and why old Hollywood movies can hold a special pleasure. I was also joined by my colleague, assistant editor Devika Girish. Please note that our remote connection may mean some variable audio quality. Let's go to the conversation, and stay safe, everyone. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nick Rapold. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment, and this is another in our daily edition of the podcast. We're calling it Film Comment Podcast at Home, and that's because we're all at home. Um, I used to say that when we were starting the podcast a week ago, and now I think it really is the case um, for everyone we're talking to. Um, and uh, for this particular episode, we're, we're very pleased to have a special guest, um, uh, we being uh, uh, I and Devika. Hello, Devika. Hi. I'm here. <laughs> still what? And, I'm and still here. Still here. Still here. Um, and uh, let's welcome our special guest. Hi. It's Manola Dargis, living in Los welcome. Angeles, currently under a blanket uh, that is over my laptop in my head to try to cut down on the echo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we uh, it's we it's it's trying times. Uh, <laughs> we never know. Um, yeah, I was just saying that it's kind of it reminds you of the Citizen Four uh, Snowden arrangement where you do everything. <laughs> so exactly. you're also safe from surveillance, fortunately. Uh, um, oh yeah, blankets are known to do that. <laughs> Magic blankets. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll just start how how we've been starting, which is you know how are you doing, <laughs> and oh, how, yeah. how's the view, view from where you are? <laughs> well, right now the view is literally of my laptop under a gray blanket from my sofa, but um, a little throw blanket. It's really nice. It's okay. I am a little stressed out because I went shopping, so I ventured into a local grocery store, and they were they were doing pretty well. They're good, you know they're good about having people line up, and people seem to be keeping six feet. But once inside, even though there are fewer customers than normal because they they are limiting, people just the the lack of spatial perception is just I am so knocked out by it. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely run into that, so to speak, as well. Um, I I don't know what it is. It's it's almost just some habits are really hard to break. I'll be charitable and say that's it. I don't know. But uh, yeah, and 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 just in terms of, uh, we're all experiencing that the grocery runs, um, and that's and all all of that. I, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, as 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 a critic at the Times, um, how's how have things impacted there? 
Well, my, you know, my main job at the times is to be a movie reviewer. And so it's been very, you know, it's there's the, once uh, New York movie theaters closed down and then, you know, it was California and New York the same week and a lot of um, cities have followed. Uh, and so a lot of the re new releases have been shelved. Um, there seems to be a certain amount of uh, confusion among uh, smaller distributors, you know, we're still, of course, and understandably trying to figure it out. Um, the studios are, are not going to be by and large, uh, uh, releasing things right away because it's really important for them to put those, you know, their big temp poles into theaters. That's how, that's their business model. So they actually do need it. So they, this idea that somehow like Wonder Woman is going to be streaming at some point, it's just, it's just a fantasy. I mean, I, I'd be really shocked. They want to put it in theaters. That's just that they have a plan. That's how it works. Um, and so, and so, you know, a lot of things are being postponed sometimes oddly to me because they're being postponed to April. And I'm thinking, do, does everyone think that life is going back to normal in April? Because from the projections right. out of New York and California, both, that's just completely untrue, you know? So that's weird. And, you know, and I, I love that can has actually not canceled. They've just postponed. And that's just, you know, hilarious to me because it's like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe they know something we don't, I don't know. Davis. <laughs> I think it's really French yeah. bureaucracy just can't deal with the fact that that's that something has like shifted so dramatically that it's just you know doesn't doesn't know what to do. So, um, yeah. so what we're doing, but you know, there's work to do, and we're doing different things. Uh, I wrote a little thing about movie going the first week after the theater shut down because I I felt really very emotional about it, and of course that emotion was completely uh, mixed up with what was happening in terms of the country and. Uh, in terms of the virus, but it was just all, it felt very existential. You know, I'm, I'm a, I've been going to movies since I was a kid and often by myself and suddenly this thing that is so much about my identity, I couldn't do. So it was an emotional thing to do. I, you know, I cried when I was writing it and I felt kind of goofy, but I was all, it was also really, you know, honest emotion. And now we're just trying to figure out ways to write about stuff um, in particularly trying to really engage readers and trying to, you know, I'm sure like like both of you, I'm I'm finding I'm talking to people I haven't talked to for a really long time. I'm making, mm -hmm. you know, people I haven't talked to for more than a year, a couple of years, people reaching out. And so kind of trying to figure out ways that we can do that with with readers to kind of bring them in to it's not really a community, the most overused word in America, but it's, you know, trying to create some sort of con con connection uh, among people who are stuck at home. Uh, so we yeah. did a little movie club and we're going to try that out every other week where we just pick a movie and then people ask people to watch it and then we write about it. And we're still figuring out the format, but there's a lot, you know, there's a lot to write about actually, yeah. as it turns out. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I just want to say that, I mean, the piece about movie going and, and the sudden kind of hole that that leaves behind that it was really beautiful and moving for me i mean just it's it's uh, yeah it just it's such a personal relationship and it all becomes very stark <laughs> how, how how connected one is when one is not connected <laughs> um, yeah i really enjoyed your piece as well and i think um it touched a chord with many people it really kind of got to the heart of what a lot of us are missing out on um mm -hmm. I wonder, you know, you spoke uh, really eloquently in the uh, in the piece of like losing the sense of community, even though it's so paradoxical. Uh, you know, you had this beautiful line about being alone with other people. Uh, 
the the other thing that we've been kind of talking and thinking about on the podcast is also how this new reality with with movies is changing our sense of time a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Nick Pinkerton on the podcast a couple days ago, and he talked about how there isn't really a a, a thing called contemporary cinema right now. Uh, and you know, as as a movie reviewer, like you were saying, so much of your work is like beholden to this calendar, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm just wondering, like, conceptually, how is how has that been for you? You know, uh, how are you thinking about even something like how do you peg a movie to to something right now, or or how do you demarcate something as as off the moment? Well, I mean, I'm not really doing that because I'm not seeing new movies. So you know, I haven't. We are, as uh, Devika knows, because Devika writes for the New York Times too, is that we are doing some selective reviews of movies that we're going to open theatrically that are now just opening on VOD. So we're doing that. I haven't reviewed anything, but I might. Um, I am a really old-fashioned and uh, incre- and progressively older, rapidly aging uh, film critic. And I really like, uh, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I have aged so much in the last month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh my God. Um, yeah. Like, you know, my 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 whole life is so is right is very organized. My life has often been organized about movie going, but my professionally speaking, my life has been organized about going out to the movies. And so, I don't review from links, for example, and I don't review from DVDs. Now, that's a very privileged position that I am afforded because I write for the New York Times. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's a um, it's really something I really believe in that if I'm writing for a theatrical release release, I want to see what the movie looks like, you know, in a theater. That's just, and, um, so I try to, so I go out to movies a lot, you know, I mean, I have screenings, uh, sometimes during the day and then often at night. And sometimes I'll have a screening almost every night and I live in Los Angeles. So that means I have to drive. Um, and sometimes I'm driving almost an hour back and forth, you know, um, but it's like, it's, that's part of my routine and it's part of my routine with my husband because, you know, he has a shop and he closes and I'll say, okay, I'll see you. I'll be home before you or I won't be home. Like, it's just my, the kind of my daily rhythms have been so disrupted, um, so much so that this week I was completely confused by the days. Like, I spent all of Tuesday believing it was Wednesday, like really, literally. And that was part of my confusion. I, how does it even matter? It could have been <laughs> well, Wednesday. It might as well. <laughs> well, it matters because part of how we live is organizing our life. You know, right. we have a calendar and we kind of, and so, you know, and it was very weird going through my Google calendar and like deleting all these things that I had, you know, I'm hyper, hyper, hyper organized. And I, it helps me give a sense of control to my mm. to my life. To you know, you pretend that you have control by organizing things, um, mm. and just yeah. like deleting. And so, you know, it's very weird. Like it's not like oh, I have a screening at Tuesday at the Sunset Screening Room, and Wednesday I have a screening uh, at uh, this room or that room or this studio or whatever. Like that's all gone. So it's very so in the sense of like there not being any contemporary cinema. I mean, there are no there are no new releases. Is just how I would say that. And so I have to like think about other things. And I haven't, I've been watching some movies, um, but I do the way I do normally um, in a non-crisis time, which is, you know, I watch things on, I look to see what's going on in the Criterion channel. Usually that's my first stop. And then uh, I know there's nothing on Netflix, so that's not even, why even bother? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Go over to Amazon Prime, see if there's anything, maybe something on HBO. 
So it's, you know, that it's been very disruptive just because that's so my job is so tethered to new releases, you know, so. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, also I, I, I always feel that for, for, for being, being a critic, there's sometimes you're always, it, there's like a tug of war in a way uh, in terms of owning the life of a movie or or how you foster the life of the movie with larger industrial forces. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just part of the game really um, that, uh, that, you know, movies are released by studios or movies are released by distributors. And that's how we decide a movie is born in the world for lack of a right. better world. Yeah. But now or I kind is of wonder- relevant. Or, or yeah sure. right relevant and prominent um but when you get down to it now it's almost like it's a totally uh, a, a popular driven thing in combination i just the relationship is, is different somehow is it more like television now the the way things are made prominent for us i, I don't know it's something mm. i'm still parsing yeah i think that that's a really i mean you know one of the problems about daily reviewing um is that how it's connected um and i'm calling myself a daily reviewer just because i write for you know, really, it's a 24 uh, seven news outlet, the New York Times, is that it's very tethered to uh, the distribution cycle, right? So mm-hmm. and there's always this relationship, um, ha- historically, at least between advertising and the reviews, you know, they would come out on a certain day. Uh, and there, you know, there'd be like a big, big ad. Now that has really changed um, in the last 10 years, as advertising um, has really dried up, commercial advertising has dried up. And so like, for the New York Times, that's part of why it is so it's a digitally it's digital first a but it's also about um, subscription model so as advertising has really uh, uh, disappeared there's less of that kind of very overt combination you know it's like you're not seeing the big ads from the studios uh, one page later than is the review of the mm. movie you know so that that right. has actually changed and yet at the same time of course um, you know, we're still usually the review is still coming out um, the week that the movie comes out. You could say that there is a news element on some level, you know, a new mm. a new song, a new dance, a new movie is, is newsy in a sense. Mm. Right. It's that's how and that's certainly how a newspaper looks at it as well. This is the news. This is what is new. Um, but right now, I, you know, because I really believe that movies live or should live on uh, theatrical, it's like I'm not really. I'm not, I'm just not seeing, you know, the movies are, they're going to be streaming, but it's going to be very hard for me to, to deal with them and think of them as movies. I just don't believe it's the same experience. Mm. I believe that part of, part of what makes a movie is that experiential reality. So, and with that gone, it's, it's just very different. And I agree. I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, you know, mm. and there's been, but there's been a blurring between television and movies since television started showing movies right back in the forties. So it's, it's yeah. always been a little confusing and it's always been kind of interesting to think about, but without theaters, that's just a very big part of my, you know, kind of how I define a movie. Yeah. No. Yeah. I've been thinking about the distinction between television and movies a lot lately because um, in trying to sort of, a recoup the communal experience of movie watching. I've been trying to, you know, schedule things with friends. Mm. Uh, you know, either you watch and you talk about the movie after, or there's all these live watching parties, live tweet parties. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, this is actually not comparable in any way to the, you know, theatrical experience, especially if you're tweeting while watching a movie. Absolutely. The, uh, you know, the only thing is that everyone's watching it at the same time. There's sort of a scheduled aspect. You know, you mm-hmm. can't 
uh, interrupted or you can, you can't like go do something else you if you're watching with other people who are all syncing this experience together but then that's kind of like television right it's scheduled yeah. programming so yep. i i'm still kind of yeah uh, contemplating you know is there any way to recoup that theatrical experience at home i no. will say no absolutely not there is none. <laughs> i mean no i mean it's just it's not i mean the, the, the other thing i would say just on a simple level is like you go to the theater you go to a designated space right and it's a ritualistic right. uh space as well it has all sorts of there's certain kinds of rituals the movie starts at you know seven o'clock the movie starts at nine o'clock you know there's a, a whole kind of ritualistic aspect you have to go and you are not in control of the movie. The movie is going to run on that schedule. And at home, you're watching with your friends. You know, you're controlling the movie. It's a, it's a, it's completely different. And you're sitting alone, separate, rather than alone together. You know, so mm. I mean, I just think that we're not we don't think enough about the actual uh, experience of of what of movie going. Um, and I think that that's a really that's just something that you know maybe some film editors can uh, assign some pieces to really go deep into that below. <laughs> <laughs> yes, perhaps it has happened. For, perhaps. Perhaps, perhaps involving people in this virtual room. Oh, very nice. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I have to think that there will be. I mean, maybe it's wishful thinking, but I think there will be a real hunger for that kind of communal experience oh, yeah. When, yeah. whenever we, as I say, emerge from the caves um, <laughs> again. Um, and I don't know, maybe we'll have to, we posted a photo of the Peter Kubelka's invisible cinema, you know, uh -huh, um, yes. with the slat, slats on either side. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's, that's time has come for that now as well. There was a, I think it was uh, in New York, there was a similar thing. I'm trying to remember who it was. Uh, um, but there was it Kubelka who had it in his thing where you, there was a hole so you could hold hands with your person next to you. That's oh, wow. I don't know. Yeah, that <laughs> that's great. Work. Yeah, no, I really love that. So you have you were this kind of I think it's I think the blinkered thing is silly. You know, I think part <laughs> of me, I mean, you know, I love Kabelka, but still um, part of it is <laughs> actually being with other people. I mean, I just I I thought so much about these mo these moments, either when I was with people I loved or by myself. And being in this theater and being aware just on your peripheral vision of all these other people and these, them all laughing at the same time, we're all shrieking at the same time, like seeing the invisible man was a great communal experience. Um, oh, yeah. The new movie, because it was freaking everybody out. At the same time. <laughs> I saw it in my living room. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but you could feel like the energy like literally the physical you know of all these bodies at the same time and that was actually really delightful yeah yeah there's there's no substitute for, for that uh the only other the only only closest thing i could think of now is that you know watching um the uh, italians citizens on the balconies who are singing to each other yeah, yes. maybe someone maybe someone can project a movie on the side of a building or something that people in other buildings can see or something can I, I don't know I was actually thinking about that when I was in college. I, I took a class with an experimental when I was at Purchase, um, a class with an experimental filmmaker named John Rubin, J O N Rubin, R U B I N. Um, mm -hmm. He's actually Christine Bashan's brother in law. But um, oh. and oh. Uh, I took a class. He had a thing called the floating cinema. And what he did in the summertime is that he would take his movies, his experimental short movies, and he would project them on screens that had been mounted on pontoon boats. Um, and he would do, he would, you know, work with different um, agencies, state agencies, park, you know, parks departments, 
And he would float these uh, pontoon boats in the middle of a body of water, you know, so there'd be a lake mm-hmm. near a campsite, and then run movies um, on the screen. Uh, and he had two, and sometimes the two boats would kind of move together in some sort of great choreography. But I think they almost always start. Anyway, I worked for one summer. I worked uh, crewing um, on that. And it was really oh, fun. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was really fun. Wait, and, you uh, drove one of the screens? You like piloted them? or <laughs> No, I, I couldn't. I can't do anything like that. I, and I actually at the time didn't even know how to swim. But uh, I was just helping like just run. You know, do I was like an assistant for everything. Uh, so oh, wow. Us and these boats. But I remember like one of the, 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 the great images, and I think he used it uh, for uh, actually like a little, not advertised, but a little flyer, was it would be these big red lips going, hey, hey, you, you on the shore, pay attention. <laughs> like, <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. And it was this, it was this kind of, um, you know, uh, just kind of jumping in there and people would just kind of watch it. And I, I was just thinking that... Uh, I mean, there's certainly a whole tradition of, um, you know, of the kind of mobile cinemas where there'd be like a truck would drive into um, uh, into a town and set up a theater and the, everyone would, you know, join around. Of course, there was no social distancing, but, you know, but you'd have these mobile theaters and you actually have a version of it, of course, in Baccarat, which I've taken to be the movie of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, where there's a kind of version of that where there's a giant uh, electronic screen uh and people watch that. Um, so I just think it would be mm. kind of nice to have these mobile mobile cinemas, you know? Yeah, just have, yeah. we can uh, commandeer the, the circle line or something too. <laughs> <Set up. laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be great. <laughs> or buses, you know, with big screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get right on it. <laughs> Good, glad you're here. <laughs> um, well, I mean, well, definitely there's no substitute for theatrical experience. I definitely share that. But given our circumstances, I'm curious what what you might have been uh, might might have been watching uh, lately. And I, I will I, I just wanted to say one thing, which is I absolutely oh, mourn the loss of the theatrical experience. But one sort of good thing of being liberated from the release schedule uh, and the theatrical schedule is that you know usually so much of my time is taken up by my obligation both professional and just kind of personal obligation to see to keep up with what's new. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of been fun to just, you know, let just my taste and desires guide my everyday viewing schedule. So yep. uh, I hear that. I hear that. <laughs> yeah. So what has uh, been yours? Me? Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> I've been watching, um, you know, I, I really like to watch whatever old movies are on the Criterion channel. Um, uh, but actually yesterday, uh, for something else I'm doing, I don't want to say what I'm doing yet, but I, uh, yesterday I watched uh, 42nd Street, um, the, you know, which um, I think it's Lloyd Bacon, Bacon uh, directed. And it's uh, an early, one of the earlier, it's not his earliest, but um, Busby Berkeley movies. That's with Ruby Keeler, and it's a real prototype of like you know the show must go on kind of thing. But it's just uh, so I really like watching old Hollywood movies. I find uh, classical Hollywood very comforting um, for whatever reason. Um, you know, just to, on a on a sheer level of uh, competency. <laughs> you know, it always makes me happy. It's like ah oh, yes, yeah. people knew how to make movies. You know, things are beautiful. They're beautifully organized. Uh, you know, <laughs> harmony, uh, visual harmony, um, a, a level of just kind of basic, uh, you know, the, the genius of the system is very, 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 very uh, important to me. Um, 
So I watched that. And then I've just also been watching some uh, television shows, which uh, I find, uh, you know, just are very, um, really like. I do want, you know, I, I hate to ever promote anything on Netflix, but I'm going to make an exception right now. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I really like, this is a show that two of my two friends, both of whom are actually movie critics, uh, recommended to me. Um, and I don't know how to pronounce the fruit. Um, I think I'm probably killing the pronunciation, but it's a British show uh, called uh, Jiri Haji. Uh, and it's uh, set in Tokyo and London. And it's G-I-R-I slash, slash H-A-J-I. And it's just, it's really good. I highly recommend it. But when we're talking about like about TV, one of the funny things is when people like try to say the, uh, the TV show is really good to say it, it, it's really cinematic. And I always think like, what does that mean? Like, what do you think that means? You know, I always find it really mm. interesting. Um, and I often yeah. think it just means like it's visually ambitious, you know, that it's not just two talking mm. heads yammering back and forth. Right. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I, I uh, the, the word cinematic, uh, it reminds me of, the word stylish, which I feel uh -huh. suddenly came back uh -huh. into prominence in like critical speak, really around, I would say, early 90s Tarantino. Somehow things were suddenly uh -huh. stylish, uh, that kind of foregrounding of that. Yeah, cinematic. Yeah, it's hard to know uh, always what, what that actually actually. Well, sometimes means. I watch movies and I think this is TV-like. And that's also yeah. like an yep. instinctive sure. reaction that I can't totally describe. I guess there's... um. I wonder if it's uh, this kind of cutting to emotion in a more obvious or pointed way. I don't know. This I, I think at least traditional television we think of being um, sort of emotionally more spelled out. Mm. Well, yes and no, because when you think about, you know, when you think about melodrama, <laughs> I mean, you know, when you think about like Hollywood right. melodrama, it's not like it's not spelled out the emotions. Um, I mean, it's interesting. I guess I mean more that um, I, I guess spelled out is the wrong word, but I guess visually, maybe because it's a it's a smaller screen, there's sort of um, an isolation of emotion in a way that the big screen allows uh, like a greater contemplation of the space of the screen and more room for like inference. Hmm. I don't yeah. know. I, you know, I'm just speculating. I no, don't want some TV I, critic or theorist to, no, 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 <laughs> to respond to this podcast and just shut me down. <laughs> no, I think it's a, I think it's really interesting to think about the difference. I watch a lot of television. I, wa I watch many movies. I, you know, I just, I watch a lot of things. Um, and so I'm always thinking about that. That's always mm -hmm. uppermost in my mind. And so I'm always really interested in when certain television shows seem to be more visually ambitious in the sense that they're not just doing that kind of cutting back and forth between two talking heads or just the single shots. You know, here's a big head, cut to another big head. Hmm. Then we have maybe a two shot, but it's an over the shoulder shot. And it's just, and it's, it's almost like, uh, been, it's been cut to a metronome, you know, hmm. and mm -hmm. maybe there might be a, a medium shot, you know, the coverage, whatever, all that kind of, but it's like, there's not a lot going on. And I certainly see movies like that as well, you know, because maybe because people are just untalented or are completely uninteresting. I've, I've taught at film school with film production uh, kids, and I'm just always saying, you know, please don't do over the shoulder. Or I, or I show them like a David Cronenberg does really great over the shoulder because they're always a little odd. You know, they're off. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just like be ambitious. Move your camera. 
You know, how about staging? I mean, that's a really lost art is the kind of staging and depth. You know, we don't really see that enough, certainly in commercial mainstream, you know, mainstream cinema. So yeah. uh, sometimes these are nuances. Yeah. I mean, and there's also a sense of the frame and, and, and mm-hmm. composition. I think maybe that's something that is, I mean, it's sometimes it's harder to apprehend on the small screen, you know, I mean, you know, something could be cinematic on TV, but it's, it's sometimes you just need the bigger canvas to actually, or I do at least to actually perceive sometimes um, some uh, certain ambitions, certain ways of arranging things. Uh, I, I don't know. And then the other colors, but we don't have to go into that. Can I ask, <laughs> did, did um, either of you watch Oksha on your television set? I was just curious. No, I no, watched I... it on my laptop. Actually, I didn't oh, see it on the big screen. Horrifying! I know. <laughs> I didn't even have a TV at that point. <laughs> now I have a projector, but um, oh, nice. I know. I, I still really enjoyed the movie, but I knew that I was missing out. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Kelly Reichardt, along with an essay on her latest First Cow. Also, an interview with the directors of the fiery genre mashup Baccarat, Jay Hoberman on Thomas Heise's essay film Heimat is a Space in Time, Michael Kresge on The Perseverance of Cinema, Amy Taubin on Sundance Highlights, and Pietro Marcello on the inspiration behind his Martin Eden. Plus, Spike Lee's trusted costume designer Ruthie Carter, Isabel Huppert in Lulu, George Romero's Lost Film, and much more. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. That was an interesting movie because, you know, watching that, because I saw it at Cannes, you know, huge, huge, huge screen, the Lumiere Theater, very, very big screen. Um, and and then watching it, watching it um, at home, and I have an okay-sized television, you know, it's not teeny tiny, uh, but I watched it. And it was just, it made me burst out laughing. It was just like, he was not accommodating the way he makes movies at all to a smaller screen. I mean, there are these like, like very long shots where you're just basically <laughs> need a, a magnifying glass to see what the hell is going on. You know, it's just like, you just can't see stuff, but it was very funny. It's like, sure, I'll take your money, Netflix, but I'm going to make the movie <laughs> way I want to make the movie, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I always, I always, I, with these sort of discussions, I always flash back to how Kubrick filmed um, like the shining, you know, keeping in mind the ratio of an ultimate like four three tv as well i don't know that kind of weird galaxy brain approach to making <laughs> movies um, <laughs> yeah but i i'm going back uh about the genius of the system and and, and watching old movies there is just a special pleasure of of of, of that and um i i watched the great mcginty oh. um where you kind of get the best of both worlds you get kind of th- that that feel of of, of um, you know hollywood you know classic hollywood competency but also the the we- just the strange streak of weirdness and and, and maverick attitude that that mm-hmm. Preston Sturgis brings to things it's like a it's kind of that particular movie you know with uh, you know, a, 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 a guy um, off, the, off the streets who then rises in power to become the mayor and then a governor. Um, but it's all slightly askew. Um, it's also just felt weirdly subversive uh, somehow as well. Um, but yeah, it was just great. A movie that's able to set up its premise and, you know, just a few lines as well. I, I miss that. <laughs> well, and also there's a sense of uh, progression. You know, I, I think one of my complaints about a lot of like, um, American independent film is I feel like, uh, cinema is like people are really good with setups. It's almost like mm-hmm. they, they make the, the elevator pitch of the movie and that like is half the movie. 
or even three quarters. And then they just dribble into nothing. And I'm sorry, I don't have a perfect example right now, but I could just probably go through like the last couple of Sundances and just point out stuff. But I just feel like there's, there's a way in which you have a, and I'm not talking about three acts or four acts or five acts and, you know, uh, all that kind of thing. I'm, I'm actually just saying about shaping a story that is fully realized, you know, and, um, Whereas I feel like there's a lot of stories which are all like they have a great idea and then they just kind of dribble to the ending. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. You get the label, but not not the contents necessarily. Um, um, actually, a movie, not something I've seen recently, but I just noticed that it's available on Mubi yesterday. And mm-hmm. it seems very relevant to what we've been talking about. It's a, a movie I saw last year in Berlin called Talking About Trees. Have either of you uh-huh. seen it? No, nope. uh, it's a really lovely documentary about this group of uh, retired filmmakers in Sudan. Uh, they were they were part of the Sudanese film group, this kind of pioneering uh, group of filmmakers in the 80s who all had gone to film school abroad and, you know, were make, doing these daring experiments with cinema. And then the dictatorship in the 1980s basically quashed their efforts and film going culture in the country. Wow. And the political upheaval since have like raised cinema going culture specifically. And so these men have sort of banded together and they do mobile screenings and the movie kind of follows them as they try to revive uh, an old abandoned cinema and get like mm. state permits to, you know, do the screenings. And they mm-hmm. go to these villages and do uh, open air screenings of Django Unchained. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's just kind of fascinating. And I think it for anyone kind of, uh, you know, trying to remember or, or trying to keep alive why the big sc- big screen experience and uh, movie culture can be so important. I think uh, it's a great watch. Obviously, you know, it, movie, it, it's it's like fraught movie going times in a very different kind of context. Of course, yes. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's it, it did kind of make me think of what's really at stake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and also interesting is is that, it's it's i i wondered i'm having some sort of experience that we're in a form of wartime now and what kind of mark that leaves on on you know any any number of generations in terms of life but also just filmmaking and i i mean i have to say i i, I don't know if this is a case for, for either of you but uh like watching the new york times video of that elmhurst emergency room oh, um yes. was oh, uh, my i i basically cried yeah. um yeah. Yeah, and no, and uh, I, so at a certain extent, I'm also just being overwhelmed by images of, of, of life, by documentary, I guess I, I would say, because um, that also, I mean, even the way that one's made, it's giving you general scenes. And then really for much of it, it's just um, the, the one resident talking to us close up. I mean, it was uh, shattering. Uh, sorry, guys, I have to head out now, uh, even in this. Uh, day and age of stay at home i do have an appointment to get to so i'll let you guys carry on but thanks for having me and um and we'll talk more soon that's great talk to you soon talk to you soon thank you Devika. so nick you were just talking about that extraordinary video that was on the the times website of an, a nurse in the El- it's an elmhurst um, hospital um kind of yeah taking yeah, and- mm-hmm. taking you through this really kind of wartime uh, uh situation um and I, I think, you know, if we think about what kind of work is going to come out of this, I think we're going to get kind of these diaristic 
uh, kind of um, works, you know, primarily, obviously, video. Um, but people, I mean, I think there's these people are recording themselves. People are, you know, making little TikToks and putting them out in the world. Um, they, I think that there is a, there has always been um, with social media, this, uh, in particularly having, um, you know, these phones where you can make these little movies of yourself, you know, and people make little, have their selfies. It's a kind of extension of selfie culture. I think we're going to have this kind of more, and of course, that's very different from what that nurse was doing, but we're going to have these kind of diaristic, I think, uh, you know, people sharing their kind of their little diaries of everyday life um, in this kind of quarantine, isolation, stay at home, uh, new reality. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and uh, the, 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 the big difference um, with, with pr much of previous like diary tradition is that this is kind of compulsory or like enforced. And, and, and I wonder how that aspect will also, you know, make its way in, into it. I mean, it's, it's, it's more like a, a Jafar Panahi movie where, <laughs> where, oh. you know, the condition of, of, of uh, th that it was made under was a kind of compulsory one. Right. Right. Yeah. Right, because our context is going to change. So I'm saying, like before, we had this kind of self. Everyone's taking photos, making yeah. videos of themselves, and now in in isolation, people are doing that. I just think that the the kind of it's not just going to be photos of yourself. It's now going to be more and more little videos of yourself and what you're doing and how you're surviving and what your pets are doing and what what all <laughs> that is like. I think I think that's really interesting, and I'm just interested in it because there's such a long tradition of personal kind of diaristic cinema and avant-garde and experimental world and kind of seeing people now just it's now available because of phones um mm. certainly to those who can afford them um that people are making these kind of little um, the selfie kind of culture has expanded into these video uh little autobiographical autobiographical videos more and more of them at least i think yeah. And I mean, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I was thinking recently about a couple of Chantal Ackerman movies for, for yeah. starters, like, mm -hmm. uh, of course, No Home Movie, which has its mm -hmm. own like Skype scenes and, and, mm -hmm. and, and tears, but also um, La Ba, the, the one that's, um, I, I, which it's an apartment in Israel, I want to say. I, I oh, yeah. I have just a, and it's a series of, it's like uh, shots of like a window and curtain moving. That one, yeah. Right? Yeah, I, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that that is a very, I'm just very interested in that kind of diaristic thing that we're all doing this kind of like, you know, dear world, I am alone at home. <laughs> I, I, I wrote, you know, I said, I wrote about my cat when my cats caught a fly yesterday and it was like super exciting. It was like, the most, it was like I was like, woo! <laughs> that's the, that's, that's the news from home, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. News from home. i borrow another, uh, another title right. um, cat cat murders fly <laughs> <laughs> um but I, but I think it is very interesting also just because our relations are all mediated you know i mean i just think it's a very interesting and strange thing that we're all kind of experiencing and lurching forward together you know in this very strange odd way yeah i mean i sort of wonder for a moment what it would have been like if this happened when like virtual reality, like multi-user things were even mm -hmm. more a part of life, mm -hmm. if we would be close to the, what was the Spielberg movie? Uh, I'm already forgetting the title a couple of years ago. Oh yes, yes, yes. Ready Player One. Ready yeah, Ready Player One. We'd be in that situ situation. Um, well, I, I would, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just thinking like, uh, you know, I was so into cyberpunk when it first hit, you know, I was thinking <laughs> about like all these 
dystopian novels that I seem to like, we seem to be increasingly living, you know, cooked <laughs> <laughs> yeah. into our machines. And um, yeah, no, I mean, we're not there yet. I mean, the way the, the technology is pretty crude. Um, so it's kind of, it is really interesting. And frankly, given, uh, given that more uh, be, because of the globalization, you know, you have the, this uh, amazing spread of viruses. Well, I guess we'll, we'll probably learn at some point what it's like to be in lockdown with uh, virtual reality. I'm so sorry to say, yeah. but I think that's, that's, that will happen, you know? Yeah, that's, that is true. I know that's, that's another aspect of this that I, 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 I was, was curious about just, and I think you've, you've, you've written about this as well, just how movies have prepared us for this. Um, you know, uh, I, I think in, in regard to like September 11th, a lot of people have written about this, but like the spectacle of, of disaster and horrible things mm-hmm. happening to all of us. And that's, that's something almost easier to visualize. I mean, for this, I, I do honestly sort of keep coming back to like zombie movies in a sense, uh-huh. yes. just because of, because zombies are like, it's not that these, they're monsters, they're your, all your projected fear about other people. Yes. Um, so that has really hit home, I have to say. Well, I'm also, I would say that my experience of going uh, grocery shopping and this morning <laughs> would very much resembled uh, a, a George Romero movie. I mean, of course, not with the, uh, no, no one was bloodily tearing someone else's throat up. But in terms of just like people being in their own little narcissistic bubbles, and just mm-hmm. kind of almost like kind of blindly going. You you talked earlier, Nick, about like being surprised, people kind of lurching at you, you know, and yeah. that I think that there's something interesting since you really have zombies on the mind, but that's what it feels like where you feel like they're kind of almost you kind of want to snap your finger and say, Wake up, wake up, wake up, you know. Yeah. Like they're just yeah. kind of like, uh <laughs> Yeah, I think actually this the Safety brothers posted a, a small video of people uh, d- descending upon a pallet of toilet paper and they overlaid it with the audio from a, from a Romero movie. <laughs> and it, it was uncanny. <laughs> I, I gotta, I, I have to say, I want to know what those, what those guys are going to come up with under this, under this new reality. You know, you imagine, I think. That oh yeah. Fun. Yeah. Well, I have to wonder if any, if there's going to be any guerrilla filmmaking going on as well, in, oh, like yeah. all of these empty I'm spaces, sure. you know, I'm sure. Um, I mean, What's very weird is to think about these certain movies that, you know, I mean, obviously people have been talking about contagion, but just thinking like, you know, how that just felt very eerie. You know, it was the kind of the panic and the, and the depopulation, you know, like suddenly empty streets. And, you know, I find it it's very weird to wake up and not hear traffic the way that. Oh, I yeah. I mean, that is so weird. Or, you know, the 28 Days Later movie, I absolutely adore Danny Boyle's movie. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you wake up and suddenly it's like the world has changed. <laughs> Happily, though, Nick, we haven't gotten to uh, zombies, whether they're kind of slowly lurching or fast running zombies. We're not really <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I hope we don't have to to get to that or <laughs> or to escape from New York or to any other of these. Can um, I can I ask mm-hmm. you, like, have you watched any sort of apocalyptic movies because i have to say i have no interest in watching any apocalyptic movies oh that's that's a really interesting question yeah i i i'm trying to think i have not no i mean i have been watching things about like other types of devastation um like i watched i don't know and i don't know how conscious or unconscious it is but i watched we talked about this in a previous episode lightning over braddock Uh uh-huh 
and just you know seeing uh you know footage of kind of emptied out you know milled steel t towns and that sort uh -huh. of thing in pennsylvania yeah. um and i kind of felt those more acutely just because like all again like all the industrial forces and like inequalities are really laid bare right now so like mm -hmm. i'm acutely aware of them in anything i watch mm -hmm. as well as people touching each other but anyway um, <laughs> um but yeah you, i it's true i don't have an appetite for destruction right now <laughs> <laughs> Neither, neither do I, which is why you watched Preston Sturges and I watched 42nd Street most recently. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I mean, no, actually, 42nd Street was weird because, you know, like a lot of those movies, these are these are uh, Great Depression movies. And mm -hmm. so there's a lot of dialogue about people just trying to make by and they really need a job or they're just, you know, they're, they're kind of there is an underlay of a desperation. Which I didn't even think about. I was just like, I just saw Forty Second Street, and I'm like, I have, I have to watch it again. I haven't seen it in years. Yeah, um, yeah. but it is have this kind of like, you know, kind of desperate circumstances are definitely uh, undergird the whole story. Yeah, I, I, I forget. I think uh, I read an essay about uh, Preston Surge's. Maybe it was like maybe Kent wrote it about that underlying desperation to like the screwball capers there that just mm -hmm. everyone is just constantly scrambling and hustling mm -hmm. and nothing makes sense. And in a mm -hmm. sense, the, the like musical, like rhythm of the patter is, is, is just all, all of our ways of just finding some way to keep rolling along, you know? Mm -hmm. and, um, mm -hmm. But yeah, there is, a, there is a, a certain comfort in that, in, in, in that. Um, well, because at the, even though there is this little this kind of thread of desperation, you know, Preston Sturges is going to make you laugh your ass off. Yeah. You know? And Busby Berkeley with those, you know, kind of fantastic musical sequences or, you know, or listening to Ruby Keeler sing or watching her dance or Dick Powell, like there's something very transporting and was very helpful for me. You know, the times that I was watching it, I was not thinking about about our current situation or our government or any of the kind of despair or rage that I feel every single day. So that was just such a bomb to like go back and just watch a movie, a blast from the past. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sort of makes me wonder why, uh, you know, just some of that escapist quality of movies is, I don't, it just is, doesn't work for me in a lot of uh, newer hmm. studio releases now. Cause I know a lot of them are kind of made with that intention, uh, you know, to turn your mind off and just enjoy yourself. But well, I guess, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think part of it is that, you know, I mean, certainly let's just take the Marvel movies because, you know, as long as we're together, why not take an opportunity to back <laughs> the Marvel movies again, even though there's none. I mean, the thing is like, and I've liked some of the Marvel movies, believe me, it's just like, I think about three of them. Um, <laughs> but I mean, the thing is that with with most of them aren't just very well made. So one of the things about classical Hollywood is at the very least you're watching something that's escapist, you know, and very much made for entertainment. You know, that's why these movies were made. Maybe they're escapist or not. Um, but they're also just so well done, you know, that you don't have any of that kind of like annoying little scratching thing in the back of your head going, oh, my God, this shot is awful. This mm -hmm. cinema or this digital cinematography is just the worst. Or, my God. Would you please move the freaking camera? You know, like there's none of. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like easier for those movies to to allow you that kind of, and also because they are taking place in the past, that may have something to do with it, rather than the world that they have is not the world that you currently inhabit. So, you know, watching a watching a 1930s movie with rolled stockings, you know, and all sorts of like you know 1930s banter is a uh, kind of exotic, honestly. So um, yeah. Yeah. Very much. Well, they, yeah. 
I mean, there's also, I mean, I guess having responding to someone, the feeling of a personality behind the camera, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which is something you don't always get with the, the Marvel movies. And, and I think some, some of the best ones of the uh, best superhero movies are the ones where there is some streak of eccentricity or something that you can yes, kind of, obviously. Yeah. Oh, there, yeah. there's a human being. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, that's always the, one of the only thing that like, you know, review, I've watched, I've reviewed a lot of Marvel movies and, and it's always interesting to see that tension between the actual, there's an attempt at some personality or individual thought, or there's something going on. Obviously something like Black Panther really works. And there's something where I really like Dr. Uh, Dr. Strange. Is that the name of it? Oh um, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. But you know, just cause I thought it was visually really fun and I really liked, um, I really liked uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. So there's that. So you, you know, you hold on to those things. But then you can see the machine there too. And it's like you have to, you know, then it, it's interesting to see which directors are able to try to flicker a little, you know, put a little life into the otherwise kind of, you know, lifeless machinery. Um, yeah. Is interesting. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. Uh, maybe I'll just ask a kind of general question. Uh, I, I have to be curious, um, like in terms of how, how do you think, like, what's the mark this is going to leave? um on, on 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 movies just on or a movie production or i mean what's 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 the impact on everyone's there's a lot of doomsday out there in terms of you know certainly the impact on 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 theaters to an extent and then also how people think about theatrical movie going but um i don't know what i'm trying to think what happened after september 11th is not really comparative um, comparable really but i don't mm -hmm, know mm -hmm. Well, That's right, because we weren't in in the United States. We weren't in lockdown the way that some of us are effectively. I mean, we're we're not really in lockdown in Los Angeles. It's a stay home, you know, and mm -hmm. essential businesses are only are open. Uh, so it feels like that. But you know, you're basically spending a lot of time at home. Um, you know, I I honestly don't know. I'm not really one for for making uh, predictions. I think that. Um, my hope, uh, what I can tell you is what I hope, my hope is that people will be very anxious to go out again, that they will mm -hmm. be very happy to have a designated space to go sit in the dark with other people. That, that's my hope. Um, you know, I mean, the movie industry has been going through a lot of profound changes. Um, but again, the, 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 certainly the, the big studios have a certain kind of economic model. And I think it's not, I don't think they're ready to change it quite yet. Um, you know, I mean... I would very much like us to go back to, you know, film, you know, I wish the big studios would go back to, you know, 30 years ago when they weren't just all just doing tent poles and there was a diversity of product versus what they have now, which is like, so, there's so little diversity. Um, mm. uh, so I really, I honestly don't know. Um, yeah. I, but, you know, I tend to be very optimistic about movies and movie going. Um, and despite so much of what everyday news, I'm optimistic about other people. So I'm hoping for the best, Nick. Let's yes. just hope for the best. <laughs> yes, me too. I definitely hope for hope for the best. I mean, who, who knows? Maybe there'll be a whole. I was about to say epidemic. Oh God, there'll be. <laughs> no, I know the language. The language is so. You have to be so careful of the metaphors. Speaking of zombies, yeah, all the metaphors have come alive and they're stuck. Yeah, in this now. yeah, yeah um, exactly. But yeah, maybe there'll be a all the all the words. I was going to say they're rash. Um, there's going to be a lot. Of, movie, of maybe small productions like maybe people will have less money to throw around so people will not want to risk these mm -hmm. huge juggernauts anymore but i don't know uh, i don't can, know either we, we can we can only only hope um I, and then, oh sorry go ahead 
No, I just really, I really hope that our smaller theaters are able to ride this out. That's like my greatest worry really is like all the kind of independent and smaller theaters that there are, and they are there, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I know the art house convergence has been working to get stuff, you know, like the way that, um, Kino uh, uh, and other companies are putting their work is available on certain theater sites, you know, and that's good. But, you know, I can imagine that's not a big revenue generator. So my greatest worry, you know, I don't I certainly don't want the big chains to go down, you know, under. But my biggest worry is for the those the smaller independents that have managed to ride out the last 20 years, you know, and survive and uh, and thrive from all reports, you know. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm. If I'm, if I were a religious person, I'd say that's what I'd be praying for. So I'm not, I, but I'm just going to say that's what I'm hopeful for. We can, we can pray with our dollars, <laughs> but yeah, I am concerned about that too, just because across the country, I mean, every single time we do our readers poll and I'm sure you, you, you must have the same feeling with like the, the, the film club that you're doing and, and, and otherwise the letters that come in and when people are just talking about movies they love, it's just one of the greatest things for me to read, read about that. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah. That's yeah. really nice. So, one um, nation united in movie love. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I that I can't really top that for a for a, for a, a, a finish. So um, that seems a good place um, to conclude. Um, but thank you so much for taking taking the time. Um, and uh, well, thank you. Yeah. It's always a pleasure to talk uh, with you. And um, you know, uh, my my calendar is quite open. So call me again. <laughs> okay, we'll take you up on that. We'll take you up on that. All right. All right. Take, take care. Take care. Stay safe. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi monthly magazine published by Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Kelly Reichardt, along with an essay on her latest, First Cow. Also, an interview with the directors of the fiery genre mashup Baccarat, Michael Kresge on The Perseverance of Cinema, Amy Taubin on Sundance Highlights, and Pietro Marcello on the inspiration behind his Martin Eden. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com.